Welcome to Mom and Up. With your co-host, developmental psychologist, Dr. Marty Erickson, and Dr. Aaron Erickson, maternal child health specialist and nurse practitioner. Here's my grandma, Marty. And here's Aaron, my mom and mom. Welcome to Mom Enough. I'm Erin Erickson here with my mom, Marty, and we're going to be talking about empowering children with differences and disabilities with our guest, Meg Zucker. Meg was born with one finger on each hand, shortened forearms, and one toe on each foot caused by a genetic condition called ectrodactyly. She would eventually pass this condition on to her two sons and along with her husband, raise them and their adopted daughter who has her own invisible differences. And she is here today to talk about her book, Born Extraordinary. And it is an extraordinary book, so I would highly recommend it, and you'll get to hear all about that today. Zucker shows parents how to best empower their children to confront others' assumptions, grow in confidence, and encourage dialogue rather than silence, fear, and shame around differences. Meg is the founder and president of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, a 501c3 nonprofit with the mission of advancing understanding and mutual respect for people's differences. A graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison and NYU School of Law, she is also a managing director and U.S. head of anti-money laundering and financial crime at the Royal Bank of Canada. So obviously a remarkable individual who has accomplished many things in your life. Uh, We're so grateful to have you here to talk about your incredible book. Thank you. I'm so, so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I echo Erin's uh, welcome. It really is a treat. I, I just so enjoyed your book and was moved by it. And just, I think you're a beautiful writer. And to be able to do that on top of all these other things that you've done <laughs> career-wise, uh, you know, I'm a little in awe of that, just for the record. Um, but let's start off with a real basic question. Um, who would benefit by reading this book? Is it limited to just parents of kids with physical disabilities, for example? And I have my own answer to that. But I <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great question and an important question. I mean, certainly, primarily, um, there is that audience of, you know, parents with children with physical differences and disabilities. Um, the next sort of layer is certainly uh, parents of kids with invisible differences or disabilities is another audience. Um, and what I loved, I mean, I actually really appreciated the live library journals uh starred review said this is an essential read for all parents and quite frankly um i think that sort of feeds into the fact that at the end of the day this book is not only for parents at large but teachers caregivers um people trying to you know uh support or at least enhance uh in the classroom or otherwise or at home an empathetic environment so there's sort of a lot of Uh, different types of people that can benefit, even doctors, you know, when something happens to, um, you know, during a pregnancy. And, you know, I love the idea of someone saying, you know what, everything's going to be okay, read this. So, you know, there's a lot of sort of different areas of people that can benefit from it. But I also want to say, you know, it's not everything to everyone. And so that's why in the book, I say, look, you can pick and choose, you know, the nuggets of information that really apply to you and your family. That's a a 
that's a great answer. And I would just say that I really do think anyone can read this and benefit from it. I, I just think there's so much value in just stepping into different people's shoes and uh, thinking about their lives. And, you know, we're all dealing, I mean, these days we're dealing with all kinds of stressors and uh, things in the, the global issues, you know, world world issues and and uh, just so many things in our daily lives and after the pandemic and so on. I just think um, most people are really hungry for information that can give them a different way of thinking and and just help them look through other people's eyes. That's 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 a great value. So I, I would say I broaden that audience. And, and granted, everybody will decide whether they like it or not. But um, I, I think it's a book that makes sense for anyone to read. Well, I appreciate it. You know, one of the things um, as you're you're speaking that that makes me uh, reminds me that in the book um, I actually help parents. You know, that are hungry to empower their kids. And so we, there's a lot of forecasting and, you know, there's a lot of sort of, here's these categories of people that are going to approach you and, and, or kids that are going to approach you. And so the reason I think that that's obvious, it's sort of obviously valuable to the parent of the child with differences or disabilities, but for the rest, you know, those behaviors are all of us, including myself. Right. And so I like to think that the book you know, for the sort of greater, larger population gets to self-reflect and think, oh, wait, when when I or one of my, you know, my children or I, you know, um, encounter someone that's different or disabled, maybe let me think in these terms and how I'm impacting that person or that family. I, I really appreciate it and how, how clearly you kind of lay out the different ways people respond. And I'm sure we can all in reading this, I find ourselves in those different ways. I mean, there's times where we maybe respond in helpful ways and there's times where we intentionally or unintentionally respond in ways that are hurtful. And we, we can't always know, um, even when we, you know, maybe we've read articles that tell, give us insights on, oh, these are helpful ways to respond to people who are going through X, Y, or Z situation. But each individual is going to have their own response to that as well. I think about my husband who lost his first wife to cancer and people said all sorts of things that were, you know, terrible, <laughs> not helpful at all. Lots of people said really helpful things, but I think people often don't know how to handle things that feel uncomfortable or different or confusing to them. And so they maybe defer to some kind of quick thing that they feel like, oh, this is kind of the default way to respond. And it's often not helpful. Do you know, that's so interesting. You're the second person to say something along these lines, because uh, my publisher, uh, uh, they had sent to, you know, book influencers or so forth. And one of them um, wrote a review and she and, and even sent me a private message saying, you know, I, I read this and I was really interested in reading it because I'm a parent parent of a child with autism or, you know, and, and, and I thought there could be some value here and I, I was excited to read it. And then she went on to say, but what I didn't realize is how much value it brought her as a widow. And to your point about people, you know, sort of strengthening herself through that experience and people sort of outbursts that she was receiving in a different way. So you just reminded me of, of the, you're the second person to sort of mention it in that capacity. Yet another group of people, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think there was there were so many lessons in this book that I walked away with, and I really appreciated 
um, as as a parent who has uh, children who have have some learning differences, and um, you know, also as a clinician, I have so many patients uh, with a variety of differences. And I, I mean, recently we've been talking a lot. Uh, it's come up in multiple uh, clinical visits. Patients who have autism talking about how exhausting it is for them to live in this world and to have, feel like they have to mask their autism uh, to engage in the world. And that was really fascinating for me to learn from my patients about this aspect of their experience. And so I think there's there's so much to curiosity and, and the value of curiosity. I know you talk about that in your book. I, I was particularly struck by the, the fact that you use the word different or differences uh, versus disabilities. I know your subtitle says children with differences and disabilities, <laughs> but could you describe your um, kind of desire to use this word different and differences and tell us about the distinction and why you chose to use that term? Yeah, of course. I mean, and I should say there was, I, I, I'm a writer even before this book. And so I wrote a, a, a piece and the, the, editor chose a title that I didn't know that they were going to do. And it said, why I hate the word disabled. I'm like, what? And I knew it was just attention grabbing. I'm like, no, that's not right. And so oh, I, I just, I shudder when I think about that. Um, but to clarify, growing up to me, um, you know, my parents raised me to feel empowered and to, to not feel less than. And so I was cognizant of the fact that you know, the word disability to me in my head um, didn't connect with the way I felt about myself. And what that means is there must be some negative connotation about it, um, unfortunately. And in fact, um, I had been getting ready for work and had noticed um, or was hearing the, the traffic report and they're like, your day is going to be ruined because a disabled vehicle is on the road and now you're going to miss your meeting. Too bad, so sad. And you start realizing it is it is negative and that's too bad and you know but here's the thing um there's a lot of people phys physically different or invisibly different or disabled you know th but the people that fly the flag of disability pride and, and want to embrace and quite frankly kudos to them they want to change that sort of negative connotation and and think of it and have it used expressively and exclusively in a positive way and i think that's phenomenal um and because of this, I started thinking even more about the fact that you could have three families. One, they all have a child with the same condition. The first family is like, hi, this is my daughter uh, with this difference. The second one is, hi, this is my daughter with a, you know, this disability. And the third might say, this is my daughter who's differently abled, whatever the case may be. It's all the same condition. They just choose to use a different label. And so at the end of the day, um, for purpose of the book, and you know, I do address it in the section right up front, because uh, I've kind of come to this decision that, you know, we need to give families the grace and respect to decide what label, uh, you know, feels best and most comfortable for them, and, and, and allow that to happen. And so for this book, as I said, you know, I'm using the word difference, but it's really just a generic term for anyone who may feel, you know, that their child is viewed as atypical or whatever the case may be. I, I almost wanted to make certain, therefore, we push past the label um, and really focus on the process of 
you know, self-acceptance, unconditional self-acceptance of the parent first, by the way, before they get, as you saw, you both read my book in the first chapter, you know, even before they start turning to supporting their children. That's a really, really good discussion of, of that issue. And I think we always, you know, want to lead with the person and, um, you know, whether you're calling someone a, a person with brown eyes or a brown eyed person, but the, um, you know, that, that idea that it's the person and there's so many ways that we're different and more ways that we're similar uh, across all all types of people with all sorts of challenges, and we all have challenges of one kind or another. Um, you know, Meg, you uh, wrote this book, I think, to help parents help their kids, and I really appreciate that. But what are some of the things parents will need to first learn for themselves in order to be successful for their kids? Yeah, so, and and thank, thanks for that. I mean, I I think there's a, a few things and a lot of it, and you know, just back to that first chapter, I focus about the um, notion of, you know, going through the process, you know, that none of us necessarily desires to have, you know, the atypical experience, you know, we want something that's easier and so that we're less stressed about it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in this space, parents of children that are different or just, you know, uh, or disabled, you know, we, we feel so, so many emotions and we have to actually decide uh, that we need to first let go of the notion of perfection. And I talk, I talk about that. Um, we have to decide to let go of making all of our decisions, um, which can be easily made rooted in fear. Um, as I say in the book, you know, the opposite of love to me is not hate, it's fear. Every fear-based decision I made has been a, a, a mistaken or a misstep in raising my, uh, our children. Um, and then, you know, there, there's also a really important element of um, finding, finding the strength to no longer be consumed by judgment of others. And that's, that's universal. I mean, that's why I wrote that book. You know, we have to get there mentally. And so these parents, you know, what, what they need to do is, you know, that self-focus and that work, it has to be done. How can we possibly expect to lead our um, children and quite frankly, have our um, children rise to a certain level um, that we ourselves haven't accomplished? And so that's why it, I think this stuff, this, this discussion and this focus is really important. And the book, um, especially in the first chapter, helps to lead lead parents through that process. Well, and isn't that so much the case for all of parenting as well that, you know, we, we talk about on Mom Enough all the time that we have to care for ourselves. We have to come to a place of acceptance. We have to do this work ourselves because how can you expect to guide anyone else on any journey if you haven't at least done some of the work yourself? And so I think in this case, it, it seems to matter even more that you do that and that then you highlighted the self-acceptance and it is essential. But for all parents, we have to you know, care for ourselves in order to care for our children. And we often don't do that. Our society really, I think, pushes, especially parents, you know, we're pulled in so many different directions. Where's the time or, or it's selfish to care for yourself when you're supposed to be caring for someone else? Yeah, you know, look, there's there's so many beautiful aspects of being a parent of a child that's different or disabled. I mean, I I I, I cover I covered in the book, but I, I just as you're talking, Erin, it just reminds me that you know so many people you know that have 
children that are not in this lane, you know, they have such high expectations and, you know, their, their road is sort of navigating through letting, you know, getting when their kids get let down, they didn't achieve X, Y, or Z. And what's cool about this space is, you know, we start with, you know, expectations that are realistic. So every step, you know, they make that is progress is just this beautiful step forward. And so in that sense, you know, we don't take things for granted and, and the, the depth of our appreciation for their growth is so deep and so rewarding. Um, I always say that, you know, being, yes, I physically um, uh, are very blatantly, I'm very blatantly physically different, but, you know, never realized how much having children that share my condition and then ultimately the impact and the motivating factor it makes on other people. It turns out that it's actually a gift that keeps on giving. It's such a rewarding and joyful place to, to be in this world, at least in my opinion. Those are powerful words, Meg. And um, I, I want to ask you a question on a very different track, but I, I think it all intersects. And that is, um, you have a chapter in your book on bullying, um, a very good chapter, I, I would say. Thank you. And in it, you talk about how kindness is not enough for kids that are different. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, Ethan, our oldest, was bullied on the playground for being physically different. And so... I definitely wanted to cover, it's called Taking the Bully, Bull-Y by the Horns, <laughs> um, the chapter. And there was no question that it was um, an experience that no, 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 nobody wants. Um, but yet, if we have to endure it, then I wanted to write the chapter in terms of how I helped our son navigate through it. Um, but equally as important and as what you're describing, you know, most people of you know parenting children with differences or disabilities you know look if we end up having uh, another child or scenario where there's cruelty involved that's horrible and we have to deal with it but most of our anxiety is about friendship you know like choose friend you know all these signs on walls choose kindness you know it kind of reminds me of the the old um, don't do drugs campaign you know like they just sort of fall flat right you see it on the sign Kindness is a great goal, and there's a lot of good things about kindness, and I don't ever want the soundbite. Zucker thinks that kindness is not good. No, kindness is wonderful, but in this context, it is so critical that parent, other parents understand that, you know, when you tell your kid, be, be kind to Tommy, you know, who's XYZ, has XYZ, um, that's easy. They can either ignore to them. It, kindness could be not saying a word because they're not being mean, or they could be like, hi, and that's it. But meanwhile, Tommy wants to invite people to a birthday party. Right. And that, that, so to me, I always say it's not about choosing kindness. It's choose friendship. And, and in fact, through my work, um, through don't hide it, flaunt it. That's why I worked, um, for, so, I've worked for so many, continue to work so many years in terms of SCL, social emotional learning and empathy programming, where, you know, kids that look or feel different get to turn into a someone from a something to their peers. But then for the rest, those that don't think that there's anything different about them, um, they actually might not have the same condition, the same life experience as this other kid. But they do have something about themselves they wouldn't want other or their families, they wouldn't want someone else to judge. And once we connect those kids together and that they, they might not have the same, they might not look the same, but they can feel the same, 
that's how friendship, you know, and the sort of um, stepping stones to friendship evolves. And that's why to me, and I'm sorry, I probably took too long to answer this question, but it's so important that, you know, in the context of bullying, yes, we need to um, help our kids through it, but usually it's reactive and then we're all over it. This is where we can be proactive and really focus on turning, you know, making certain that, you know, other parents understand our kids need more than kindness. Um, uh, you know, I, I just love that. And I'm thinking about um, how kids who really are friends with each other, they laugh and joke and, you know, they tease each other sometimes. And sometimes as adults, I think it's hard for us to know when teasing is bullying. And, you know, it's a, it's a pretty gray area, I think, in kids' interactions with each other. But I always feel really heartened when I see kids who do have a visible or invisible difference um, and, and see that they are really being, you know, treated in the same way as other kids in a friend group. To me, that's a, a real sign of progress. And I remember um, a few years ago, I, I was at a, an athletic event that was people with physical disabilities and, and, and many of them were amputees and they did talk about this and the signs and everything had to do with, with disability and the use of that word, which you know kind of um, goes back to your point about how people can choose how they wanna talk about this. But I saw a group of kids who were probably middle school age and there were a few kids who didn't have obvious uh, visible physical um, disabilities or differences, but there were uh, several kids in the group who were amputees, and they had those really, you know, spiffy, um, modern, high-design kinds of artificial legs for the most part. And they were horsing around with each other, all these kids, and, and they were kind of, some of them were kind of shoving each other, and they were literally trying to knock each other over, but they were all laughing. It was not, didn't, yeah. you know, feel inappropriate in any way at all. But I, I had to stop myself from staring because the mother in me and now the grandmother in me was thinking, oh my gosh, those kids are going to get hurt because they're, you know, they're pushing each other around. But um, it, it was, I don't know, it was just a heartening moment to me, I guess, to see that these kids were all just interacting the same way any kids were. And I mean, that may sound like such an obvious thing that it's not even worth talking about, but to me, it wasn't. No, it, it, it just, is worth. It was really it's hard. It's worth talking about. I think, I, I think you're on to something important because, you know, I talk about the importance of humor and things like that. And, and in fact, even with our kids, I think Ethan used to have some kids like, what happened to your hands? He's like, oh, I lost them in the war or something or, you know. But, but the thing is, is that, that for our children that are able to even joke about it, they also have to be, we have to build them up to be prepared for other kids to joke too um, and, and be completely um, innocent in that, right? I mean, truly like they're, if they're gonna, if they're gonna joke about it, they need to know and be able to distinguish the difference between this kid is really just taking my lead and I'm being funny about it, so they're being funny about it, or maybe I wasn't, but they are. Um, and, and I think it really is important for if those uh, ha situations happen, you know, making certain to discuss it with your kids, role play it with your kids, try and kind of dig through it because we want to be careful that it, a kid that is willing to be humorous about my other, my kids, um, difference, 
that's actually a gift. They feel so comfortable and lighthearted, but we have to be careful, obviously. It could be, it could go south. It could be the wrong kid doing the wrong thing. But if it's not, how awesome is that kid that they feel so comfortable with my child that they're willing to be that natural as, as they would with any other friend? And that's the goal. Yeah, because I think it really is a sign of trust when you can tease each other and laugh about it in the moment. And, um, you know, that was what struck me about those kids I was watching. It, it clearly was something that, that wasn't just happening out of the blue, but, uh, you know, they, they clearly had trust in each other and, and it was a lovely thing, a lovely thing to watch. Well, I can think of so many examples uh, of this as well in, in our own lives and just how my, one of my children especially has navigated some of their differences with their peer group and, and how their friends in some ways kind of hold them accountable for some of the ways their differences show up. And they love my child so much. And so it's, you know, it's clearly coming from a place of love, but it's, it's like, oh, well, we can all kind of acknowledge the obvious here, the way this manifests. And so in some ways it's, it is like you're describing, like this is a really trusting, safe, secure group of friends and so it's a safe space for that. Now, if someone else said something, it might not feel that way. And so I think that that is such a gift, especially if you've seen your child struggle and maybe not have those kinds of interactions. And then once they find that group, it's, it's such a gift. And so I so appreciate this. It's so, such an important conversation. And I, I hope that um, our, our listeners will read your book because it's a, it's a wealth of uh, wisdom. Now Thank you talk you. about in your book the importance of self you're welcome. You talk about the importance of self-sufficiency. Yet you also write about times when children or others should be willing to accept help. What's the fine line there? Oh. <laughs> I think you're talking about my helping hands chapter which is is kind of this real irony, right? So the if you're especially in the space of parenting a child with physical differences or disabilities, you're, uh, but not entirely, you're raising them to feel dignified, uh, you're leaning out so that you don't overprotect, um, and then the sort of the world swoops in as if they're mighty mouths trying to save the day and trying to um, help them when the help is not even warranted. Um, and so I think that it's a really, really, interesting dynamic. Um, first of all, I made certain to include examples of parents with children with disabilities that do need the help. Some do, um, for sure. But I, I, I guess, and I, Aaron, I'm sorry if this wasn't the direction you planned to go, but I, I will say that, you know, it took me a long time to sort of um, accept, because back to the topic of kindness, this is typically kindness for kindness's sake in a good way. Um, and one of the things that I've had to focus on with my own children and myself personally too is we actually have a role to play in allowing people to help us or not be mad because they did because our pride is a little bit bruised from it. Um, and that's because if we, uh, as I used to do, I, I'm really embarrassed. I mean, I think I compared myself to a praying mantis in the book. But, you know, sometimes I get really angry when people would like try to help me. I'm like, I'm just putting some, you know, apples from my cart onto the conveyor belt to check out and people would try to help me. But we do have a role to play, um, as I've explained to my own children, because if we bite someone's head off um, or resent something and resent that kindness, then the next time someone who truly needs the help 
um, they're going to refrain probably. Um, and so there's, there is that deeper dynamic beyond the sort of when are you, you know, sufficient or independent? When do you need help? But at the end of the day, I think, you know, for, for us, you know, and certainly for my family, I've explained to the kids, you know, typically if there's an interaction, it's just the interaction as a one-off, but you guys actually have something else where that person is going to think a lot about, you know, their meeting you is a little bit more of an extreme example of a meeting. And so they're going to think about it and apply it in the future. Well, I really appreciate you taking that to that next level and kind of uh, thinking about uh, what does this interaction mean for future interactions for that individual who is coming to help. And and I think that's a, a really valuable life lesson, too, that we think about not only kind of our own immediate reaction to something, but what that interaction could mean for future interactions down the road. Exactly. And I really appreciate that that perspective. So that was that's a uh, reflects just so much wisdom and thinking about that. I don't think I would have thought about that next step. And I, I really appreciate that. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, Meg Zucker, for joining us today. Um, I highly recommend your book, Born Extraordinary. And we so appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom and your, your beautiful words with us. And uh, thank you to you for tuning into this episode of Mom Enough. I'm Erin Erickson here with my mom, Marty, and we hope you'll tune in again next week. Content copyrighted by Marty and Erin Erickson. All rights reserved. Visit momenough.com for an archive of all Mom Enough shows and many free downloadable resources on child development, parenting, and maternal health and well-being. Do you think I'll have a show called Kid Enough someday? 